0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. We are beginning today officially a series on the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is an incredible book and we're gonna dive straight into it. There's so, so, so much to talk about. Uh, And I don't know how long we're gonna sit in this. We might sit in this for the majority of the year. There's some other things we're gonna do where we'll jump in and out of it. But I am really excited about what God wants to teach us in His Word through this incredible time in history of God birthing His church. So a couple of things we need to just get straight as we dive into the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts is written by Luke. Luke is the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He is the physician, so he's a doctor. He's also a historian, which means Luke is a pretty bright kind of a guy. Yeah? He's, he's, like, he's intelligent, which means the way he writes, it's not just story, but there's structure and there's a rhyme and a reason to, to what he writes, when he writes and how he writes. Luke became a companion of the Apostle Paul on many of his missionary journeys. And so what you'll see throughout uh, the Gospel of Luke is sometimes early on he refers to uh, the Paul and his ministry as they, pronoun they, back when pronouns meant something <laughs> legitimate. It's another sermon for another time. Later on, he will refer to we which means he was participating, he was an eyewitness, he was there with Paul on these missionary journeys. And so as we come around the Gospel of Luke, uh, the, sorry, the, the book of Acts, it's a continuation of what he was writing before. And we know this because as we come to verse one, today we'll probably get through 11 verses today. Acts chapter one, in the first verse it says, in my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus means beloved of God. So there's some scholars who will say that he's writing to a specific person, Theophilus. Other scholars will say that he's writing this to the church and he used the name for Theophilus as the beloved of God, right? Now, I'm neither here and nor there. I tend to think Theophilus is probably a real person who is writing this letter too. But, you know, that's just something you can talk about in a small group and have a great time doing. In my former book, Theophilus. So in the book of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began, everyone say began, underline, highlight, circle. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Began to do and teach. Until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So the first thing you need to understand as we come to the book of Acts is that the book of, if the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke was about all that Jesus began to do and teach, the inference is that the book of Acts is about all that Jesus continued to do and teach by the Holy Spirit through the early church. So the Acts often refers to the Acts of the Apostles, but it's not about the Apostles. This isn't about Peter, John, it's not about Paul. It's not about these guys. It's actually not even about the Holy Spirit. It's about Jesus because the purpose and function of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate Christ. This is what the Scripture teaches us. If the Holy Spirit is not seeking attention. He is seeking to draw all of humanity unto Christ that Christ may be all in all and glorified. So we are to make much of Christ in the Scriptures because that's what Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to illuminate Jesus in the hearts of the saints that we might be so overwhelmed by the goodness of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and empowered by Him to go into the world and share that same glorious work that Jesus has done in the finished work of salvation and is continuing to do in drawing all humanity unto Himself until the final day when He comes again and He rolls the heavens up like a scroll and sets everything right. Amen? That's what the book of Acts is about. All that Jesus continued to do and teach by the power of the Holy Spirit through the early church. We keep reading. After his sufferings, this Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them, the apostles, over a period of forty days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, "Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized. With the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's an interesting question that follows on from there. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Another quick little segue. That pattern is really interesting. When you read the book of Acts, again, structure. Are you okay with a bit of Bible study this morning? When you read the book of Acts, you'll see that there's six key elements. And those key elements really follow this idea of what God is doing in Jerusalem and then going on to uh, Judea and then Samaria and then elements of the ends of the earth, ultimately culminating in Rome, which is effectively the epicentre of the world where the Gospel is proclaimed. So again, something to look at in your small group, something in your life group, something to be like, hey, that's cool. Let's break this up. Let's have a look. Luke is intelligent. There's structure and rhyme and reason to this book. Let's look for it as we are diving in. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here? Looking into the sky. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that it is alive and active. Thank you that it is uh, written upon our hearts. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would take your word and by your spirit that you would write this deep, that you would inscribe it upon our hearts, that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. Lord, challenge us, stretch us, grow us and most importantly, draw us nearer and dearer to your heart, that we might know you more and more. Lord, give us that beautiful spirit of adoption this morning, the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. That we'd know your goodness that comes to us in your word. We just pray this now in the precious name of Jesus, and all God's children said, Amen. So, in my former book, is how he begins. When you have a look at the book of Luke and you realize how that book ends, it ends with this really interesting statement that Luke makes. Basically similar to the Matthew 28 Great Commission, but it's much shorter where he effectively just says, you will be my witnesses. So you're gonna be the ones who are gonna go out and testify to all of the world about what I've done. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, when I read Matthew 28, which is the other account of this holiday of the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptise them the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, If I'm the disciples, in that moment, I'm thinking, man, you've done an incredible work, Jesus. How the heck is this gonna carry on? There's a reason they're standing here looking up into the sky. Are you with me? Like Jesus, you've been cruising around with Jesus. You're seeing Him heal the sick, raise the dead, turn water into wine, walk upon water. Like just do incredible things. And then He's crucified and then He's raised again. And you're like, this is really exciting. And there's this moment in time where you think, what the heck, like what comes next? Why are you going? You're not supposed to go. Like why why would you go? You've just... Risen from the dead. And you can see that in their confusion. Is this the time when you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? They're like, I don't understand. And when you come to the book of Acts, Acts is actually kind of this picture of of how Jesus establishes his kingdom, how he goes about fulfilling his plan and purpose, which he set in place from creation, yes? Acts is like the continuation, it's the next step. And these first 11 verses act really as like an introduction to the rest of the book. And all you English students know that an introduction is supposed to set out in in a specific pattern. I'm going to talk about this, 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 this and this. And then you actually talk about it. So what we see in the first 11 verses of Acts will be modelled over and over and over again throughout the book as Jesus... Fulfills his plan and purpose to redeem humanity, to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and points towards his coming again. What we see is that the book of Acts is effectively Jesus' blueprint. How many of you know that blueprints are important when we're building something? I'm not a builder. You know that, many of you know that. We just got back, when we got back from holidays, we came back and we realised that our television, which we'd had for a very long time, was broken, right? Wasn't working anymore. And it was, it'd been on the way out for probably two years. So we got home, the television was busted up. So we're like, okay, we need a new TV. Went and got the new television. You put the new television up. And how many of you know that when you put, a, that there's a new piece of furnishing you start to look at all the other pieces of furnishing around the house. Anybody? Come on, someone. And so all of a sudden we start to realise that the drawers that we had underneath the television, they weren't really straight. They looked probably more like a canoe than a table, right? And it was certainly time that, okay, we've got that, we probably need to refresh that one up. And that means one thing, flat pack. the ultimate marriage tester. (laughs) Amen, somebody? Flat packing. Who loves a flat pack? Flat pack for us means means one of two things. It means a decision. Do I go to Kmart or do I go to Ikea? Ikea is more expensive, but you know when you go to Ikea, you're gonna have detailed instructions and you know it's gonna come together. When you go to Kmart, you get a great picture of what it should look like. And then you have Chinese writing and a little image in there and it's impossible to decipher. Is anybody with me? And you're like, I don't know. I don't, like, I can't see. This doesn't make sense to me. Like, Is that the big hole or the small hole? Is that the large screw or the small screw? Is that supposed to go there? Is it supposed to go somewhere else? So we go the uh, the Kmart option, don't know why. We went the Kmart option. Within half an hour, I've already put three dowels in the wrong place. So I then had to try and rip the dowels out, two of which stayed and broke. So I then was drilling the hole back out for the Dow, and then we got to this point, I've got stuff everywhere, and Joe's being extremely helpful. She comes up to me and she says, Dave, is this empty, the box, which was everywhere? I said, yep, that's empty. So she picks it up, she takes it out, she puts it in the bin. Half an hour later, we've got friends who come over, and as a part of those friends coming over, helping construct the impossible construction, I look and I realise I'm missing a piece. And I'm like, we're missing a piece. Where is it? In the box. So (laughs) where's the box? It's in the bin. So I go outside, get the box and of course the piece that I need is broken in half uh, because it had been bent and squashed and pushed in the bin because I said it was empty. Not only is that piece broken, I realised there's two other pieces that I would need later on that are also broken in half. So then my friend and I are in the house, where sitting there going, I reckon we might be able to fix, we might be able to do this, that, that, the other, trying to make this thing all work. Uh, Joe and our other friend heads off uh, to, I don't know what they were getting, maybe something to try and fix us. (laughs) (laughs) Long story short, after many hours and realising maybe this isn't gonna work, we ended up going to Ikea. (laughs) The whole thing goes in the bin, the Ikea thing works. Why? Because they had a simple blueprint. And I think sometimes when we look at this mission to go and make disciples, Jesus' mission to establish disciples on the earth, if we don't have a clear understanding and a proper understanding of what He wants to do, how, when and why, we get really confused and we can end up with a mess. And what we have seen over many, many years is when the church doesn't follow the blueprint of Christ, it becomes messy and people get broken. But when the church is humble and it sits under the Word and it sits under what Christ has laid out, humbly coming before Him, what we see is this beautiful move of God. And I believe God wants to continue to move, that He wants to continue to grow His church and build His kingdom on the earth because He hasn't come back yet. And so we come to this book and we'll see this blueprint, this beautiful, clear picture of what God is going to do so that we are not confused, so that we're not fumbling about in the dark, so we're not wondering what goes where, but actually we can follow the wisdom of God to clearly move in the purpose and plan of God. And so as we come to Acts 1 and we see this blueprint as an introduction which will follow on the first thing that I want, I'm just gonna bring four quick, Ideas that we're going to see here. And the first one is that actually we start with Jesus' word. He has given the church his word. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The word is more than just words on a page, it is the living word of God. Jesus is the Word, the Word has been written upon our hearts. Word is about not just knowing stuff, it is about the living Word, the truth of God, the truth that sets us free, being written on our hearts and then we know the Word, we can then begin to act. But it begins with the Word, yes? Yes? And He has given us His Word. The Bible says that God has set His Word above His own self, which means He will never act contrary to His Word. If someone says, hey, God told me this and it contradicts this, guess what? God didn't say it. Yes? This is our framework. This is our safeguard. This is how we know what God is doing because He has given us His Word. Now, here's the challenge for us. Hands up if you have a Bible at home. Hands up if you've got a Bible on your phone. Isn't it interesting that as a Western culture, the Bible is more accessible than it has ever been, ever, in human history. And yet I think we're probably one of the most biblically illiterate generations in a really long time. Why? Because we are not allowing this Word to be written on our hearts. We're not submitting ourselves to it. We're not actually following this pattern to say, Jesus, you've given me your Word. I want to know this truth. And not out of a legalistic, no, I, like I have to get through my Bible reading plan so I can tick the box of religious superiority or so that I can feel good about it or so that God might bless me. No, because it's my daily bread. It's my daily bread. In the same way, some of us are fasting at the moment as a church, a season of 40 days and fasting and you get to that point where you smell sausages like I heard happened in this church last week and you're just going, oh, thank you, Lord. You know, this the Word should be like that to us. It should just, we, we, when we truly have encountered Christ and we understand who He is and His goodness and the Gospel, it's a... This is, we're drawing towards Him. And we wanna worship. We want His Word to be sung over us. We want His Word to be proclaimed over us. We want our, His Word to be read by us. We want to know the Word. Because we know that it's the only thing that will set us free and give us hope and give us security and a firm foundation. And so it begins with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up to heaven. Then He gave them instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convicting proofs that he was alive. This isn't a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's historically, reliably true. And there has been much written and much spoken and even much preached from this pulpit about how true this is. But this is true, friends. And if you are wrestling at the moment, can you trust this? Is, should I doubt this? Is he, did this actually happen? The answer is unequivocally, historically speaking, yes. There's more evidence for this than any other historical figure in all of human history. Many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And then watch this, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Everyone say wait. Wait. For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So it begins with the word. And then the second thing that Jesus wants us to do, he's given us his word, but he actually wants us to wait. And he wants us to wait for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to come upon the church. Now, it's at this point in time, I'm just going to hit the handbrake for a second. Because we're going to talk a lot about Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does, how he works over the next 20 weeks. But I think it's important right now that we just pause, hit the handbrake. And I want to speak into a couple of things in this. Who is the Holy Spirit? Let's understand. Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinitarian Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He was evident in the first page of the Bible when the Spirit hovered over the waters. So he's been at work in creation. He is distinct from the Father and the Son and yet one with the Father and Son. You're like, I don't quite understand. Nobody does. Yeah? Because he's God. So I don't have to fully understand it. There's all sorts of different analogies that we try and use in our human feebleness to get it. But what I've come to is understanding God's bigger than me and I'm okay with that. The Bible says, Father, Son, Spirit, distinct yet one, I believe it. The Holy Spirit is God and His purpose is to glorify the Son. And we see that over and over and over again in the Scriptures that that is why he exists. Here's what we have to understand. First Corinthians 2.11, he has a mind. He is a person. 1 uh, Corinthians 12.11, he has a will. He distributes gifts according to his will, not ours, his. We can grieve him. He is a person. So can we please, right now, stop calling Holy Spirit it? Yes? He is he. Don't call him it. He is not a force. This isn't Star Wars. It's not some force that we're like, oh, force come upon me that I can do great things. No, he is a person. He is God who wants to come and dwell with humanity and reveal Christ. He loves you and he wants to have relationship with you. He is a person. That is who he is. Now, John 14, are you ready for a Bible study? Let's do it, John 14. Go to verse verse 16. We'll start here. And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for He lives With you, underline with, and will be in you, underline in. I will not leave you of orphans, as as orphans, spirit of adoption. I will come to you. So we see in the book of John, Jesus speaking before his death and resurrection. He's speaking to his disciples about Holy Spirit. And he mentions two things about the nature of the Holy Spirit. That he will be with humanity and he will dwell in believers. Here's the thing, the Greek word here for with is the word para. Why we get parallel, meaning to come alongside, right? The Greek word uh, for in here is en, E-N, which literally means in. (laughs) It means that he will indwell us. And so we see a picture here of two things right here that Jesus is talking about, that the Holy Spirit will dwell with in drawing and, and moving around people, bringing them to Himself, but He will also indwell believers. And this is a fascinating thing, right? Because what we're going to see in the, in the Scripture as Jesus Himself is proclaiming who Holy Spirit is, is one, we see that Holy Spirit is an agent of salvation. That no one can confess Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is at work in the world drawing all people unto Christ. He is the one who causes faith to rise up in the hearts of believers. He is the one at work. Guess what? You can't convince anyone that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not in your wisdom, not in your eloquence, not in your charisma, not in your great arguments. Only Holy Spirit can bring that truth. Only Holy Spirit can make the scales fall off someone's eyes and illuminate truth in their hearts. That is what He does. It's why Jesus says, it's better that I go to the Father and send the counsellor because He is the Spirit of truth. Just put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a second. You're like, what do you mean, Jesus? that you're gonna go. How could it possibly be better? You're the Son of God. How could it be better that you leave us? Because the Holy Spirit is gonna be with, working as an agent of salvation, but more than that, He is going to indwell as an assurance of salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.5, we have the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Which is a fascinating thing because Jesus says, how you going church, you all right? So Jesus says the Spirit's gonna come, He's gonna be with, right? Gonna be in. But then in Acts, as we just read, Acts 1, He says the Spirit will come upon. Greek word epi means to sit, to immerse. So as you read the Scripture, you see the with, the in, and the upon. All Jesus' words. With, in, upon. Now when you jump over to John chapter 20. So this is John 14. Jesus then, John 16 talks more about the Spirit. We'll go there another time. John chapter 20, Jesus has died. He is resurrected. He's meeting with the disciples and it says that he breathed on them and said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. So here's what I think. As you look at Genesis 1, the Spirit's hovering over the waters. I think the Spirit has been at work in the world, has been with people. And then when Jesus ascends to the Father, the Spirit comes and is with, it is moving around, drawing people unto the the Father through the Son. And then as Jesus breathed upon the disciples in that moment, the disciples received the Holy Spirit. That is when the Spirit indwelt them. This is the disciples' conversion moment. Now, they've journeyed with Jesus. They've belonged with Jesus. Peter's even detested Jesus is the Messiah. But up until this point, they have not understood with clarity the Gospel. They're still believing that Jesus is gonna come back, is gonna come and be like... At this time, will you establish the kingdom for yourself? Like there's still confusion here. But now they believe, they understand that Jesus had to die and was going to rise again. And it's as Jesus breathes on them, as the Holy Spirit comes and indwells them, that they begin to actually believe and trust that Jesus is the Saviour. Like this is their moment of understanding, of conversion, of like trusting Jesus for salvation. And it's important that we understand that if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you because you cannot be in Christ without the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit has indwelt you to bring faith into your heart that you might declare Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's really important that we get that down. So Holy Spirit is at work. If you believe in Christ, Holy Spirit is in dwelt, you repent and believe and you will receive the Holy Spirit, it says in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is in you. Yes? And yet then we see something in the book of Acts where although Jesus has breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, in Acts 1, he says, wait and the Spirit will come upon you. What is this? Now this is where... We love to cause conflict. (laughs) And we get uncomfortable. And some people in here think one thing and other people in here think another thing. And some people preach stuff which is just really wrong. Like if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. That's called heresy. Yeah? And it causes conflict in the church. The Holy Spirit's supposed to bring unity to the bride. And so here's my encouragement. As we study the book of Acts... Let's not base our theology on our tradition. Let's base our theology on Scripture. And together, we explore the Scriptures and we see what the Bible is teaching. We talk about it. We get in life groups. We debate. We wrestle. We go back and forth. We open the Word. That's what we are going to do. Yes? As we look at this, I grew up in a tradition which didn't talk about Holy Spirit at all. And so for me, this like learning about Holy Spirit, I've, been, I've studied this, I've sat with it. There's stuff I still don't understand. But here's what I know, that the Spirit is at work with us. He indwells us, that moment of faith, but then there is this thing which is clearly distinct from that thing where the Holy Spirit comes upon them. He was already indwelling them. Now He comes upon them. Why? Why? So they could jump up and down and be like, look at me. Look at the gifts that I have. You know, when I, when I got saved as like an 18 year old and started thinking about this stuff and started praying and was like, Lord, what is this? What's going on? I'll never forget a dream the Lord gave me, which is where uh, Christ came. Well, it wasn't Jesus, but I knew, you know, it was Jesus, but it didn't look like Jesus. Anyway, came along gave me this. Gave someone this gift. And this person started holding this gift like this, looking at it like, wow, this is amazing. And the next thing I knew, they did this. And all these people started to come and flock around this person, look at this, look at this. And the giver of the gift was back here and not one person was looking at him. And I realised as I woke up in that moment that it's not about the gift, it's about the giver. And the goal of all that God wants to do in Holy Spirit is to point people to Christ. The reason the Holy Spirit would come upon you in power, even though He is indwelling you and is with them, is so that we can say, look at the Gospel. Let us never forget, church, please hear me. The greatest miracle is that the Son of God took on flesh, lived a human life, died, (laughs) defeated sin and death, rose from the dead and will one day come again. There is no great greater miracle, every earthly miracle, every move of the Spirit, everything else we see is all supposed to point to that one glorious, magnificent truth, that I'm dead and I'm alive in Christ, that I have eternal security and salvation in Him. And one day every crown will be put upon His feet and I'll kneel before Him and I'll say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That is what Holy Spirit wants to do. So when He comes upon them in power, that power is for the purpose of proclamation. It is so the church can be empowered to go and declare the goodness of the Gospel. Now, sometimes that looks like impartation of gifts where they went and did miraculous things so that people were like, what is this? Every single miracle in Scripture is followed by a salvation. Did you know that? Every single miracle is followed by a proclamation of the goodness of God, of who Jesus is. It was never so that Christians could get in a room and have a great time. Are you hearing me, church? Just maybe if instead of having our great times, we went out and we started praying for the sick out in the world, maybe we'd see more. So that we could then proclaim the goodness of the Gospel. So we see the agent of salvation, the assurance of salvation that He is there, but also the empowerment for proclamation. It's so that we can be empowered to be His witnesses. Word, wait, and He wants to use us as a witness. Friends, let me say something. All eyes on me, one second, you gotta hear this. Holy Spirit is not so that I can have Him. It's so that He has me. The Holy Spirit move on the earth is so that it's less of me and it's all of Him. He wants me emptied of myself, an empty vessel that he can put his treasure in and then shine out of. I am utterly convinced as I read the Scriptures, and again, we've got a lot of time to talk about this, but I'm utterly convinced that the work of the Spirit is not done. Why? Because Jesus hasn't come back. I believe that the gifts are for today. Some of you might not. That doesn't mean you've got to get up, throw your spoon and run out. Let's talk about it. But I'm utterly convinced that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, but they're just that, they're gifts. Holy Spirit is for everyone, but His gifts are distributed according to His will. We read it before. And He'll give you the gift you need in the context you need for the purpose you need it. In order that Jesus would be glorified, not you, Not even the Holy Spirit, so that Jesus would be glorified and magnified, because that's what this book is about. John Wesley and his ministry, I've been reading so much of John Wesley. Uh, His story someone who studied the scriptures, loved the scriptures, was trying to follow Jesus with all of his heart. His ministry, he was preaching the word, he was laboring in Christ with very little effect. And then he met the Moravians and there was this whole long process and he, he records in his journals, he says, one day as he sat there and he heard the Gospel, it was like the Gospel became afresh. And he said, my heart, some of you know it, was strangely warmed. That was his Holy Spirit coming upon him moment. It's different for everybody, but it's where the Gospel was so sure in his life. And from that moment on, his ministry bore such fruit They called it the great awakening where revival came across England and the US, where pubs got shut down and churches were birthed because the Holy Spirit came upon him and warmed his heart and he knew that he was free in Christ. So the blueprint is, know Jesus Wait on the Holy Spirit, allow Him to come uh, draw you to Him, allow Him to fill you, allow Him to empower you that you might become a witness for His glory by His strength. And the final thing that I want to raise here is simply this. We don't have to worry. Watch it. Let's go again from verse, ah, verse 5. John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Oh, segue, by the way. Sorry. Just a thought that came to me, especially in a Baptist church. Don't freak out about the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right? Talk it through. Remember, the first person in the Bible who mentioned baptism of the Holy Spirit was a Baptist. Yeah, John the Baptist. He goes, I baptise with water, but one will come after me, sandals I'm not worthy to untie, and he will baptise you with Holy Spirit and with fire. So don't like, Baptists believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but let's just get it biblical. Which is the with, the in, and the upon. For the purpose of glorifying Christ in all things. And we've got lots of time to look at that in a lot more detail that I can't talk about right now. Is that good? I will say the evidence that the Spirit is indwelling you is not whether or not, as I said before, you can speak in tongues. The evidence is whether or not you've got Holy Spirit fruit in your life. The gifts are for ministry. The fruit is the result of the indwelling of the Spirit. So you could be, this is what Paul's talking about with the Corinthian church. He's like, without, this, without love, you're a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He's like, what's the purpose? If you're not living the life that God has called you to, that if there's no evidence of the Spirit at work in you and you're running around in the gifts, then you're, what's the point? You're actually doing a disservice. Like it says, they'll know we're Christians by our love, not actually by our language. We know we're Christians because the Spirit is living in us and has transformed us and has totally changed us. And that's like Holy Spirit power at work in someone's life. And then when He empowers you to go and do what He's called you to do, whether that's learn a language in the space of two years, which to me is like mind boggling, put together a spreadsheet (laughs) with all different boxes that do stuff. Like, I. Honestly, I'm like, that's a spiritual gift, the gift of administration. No one's celebrating that. We all have different gifts as the Spirit enables, according to His will, for the glorification. I hope I've made my point clear. I know I'm going over it. And again, we're gonna come back to it and back to it. Don't throw out baptism of the Holy Spirit because someone hurt you, someone perverted it, or because you're scared of it. There is a with, there is an in, and there is an upon. And God wants to empower His church by His Spirit. You and I cannot see the Kingdom of God manifest in our own strength. Are we all in agreement of that? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. No one can believe Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Spirit. We desperately need Holy Spirit to move in might and power. And our nation is as paganistic as it has been in a really long time. we talk about culture and we talk about the move of the spirit at different times in history. Guess what? The West right now is returning to its Roman roots. Come on church. I'm about to finish, just five more minutes. The West is returning to its Roman roots. Debauchery at an all time high. We now worship the God of sex in a way. We haven't worshipped the God of sex since almost 2000 years ago. It's everywhere. Like we are returning to our Roman roots, which means the time is ripe. The harvest is ripe. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to stir people's hearts, to infill people with belief and to empower those believers to go out and proclaim this good news that you are dead in your sin and transgression, but you have been made alive in Christ. Repent and believe and be filled with the Holy Spirit as the assurance, as the seed of your salvation. That you would know because you know, because you know that He is who He says He is and He will come again. And you don't have to worry, you don't have to fear. The disciples are like, is it at this time that you're gonna restore the kingdom? And then they're looking up to heaven, and it's as if they're going, what the heck are we gonna do now? And the angel says, stop looking up to heaven. He's gonna come back. We don't have to worry because it's not about you and your power or me and my power or any of that. It's about Him and His power and His might and His glory. So we need not fear the terror that comes by night. We need not fear the pestilence by day because God is on the throne and He's moving. Someone sent me this message a couple of weeks ago and it just stirred my heart. It was this picture, can we put that up there? And it was this picture, and it had a David Attenborough quote below. David Attenborough. The quote said this Fear not what is before you, for the one who cares is behind you. Now, I know that's a female line in the picture. Let's not get caught up like he is the line of the tribe of Judah. If it was a male lion, it would have fit even better as an analogy. But the whole idea is, we need—we are the lion cub. If you are in Christ, you are have the spirit of adoption. You are His children. You are a cub, and He is behind us. Now look at His ears—one forward, one back. Oh, I love it! That's the round sound, baby. Look at His posture with us, but just above us. I, this so stirred my spirit, church. Fear not what is before you, for the one who cares is behind you. I love that Cubs just like, come on, world's in front of me. He has no idea of the danger that lurks behind, in front or to his side, but the one who cares does. Friends, we serve the line of the tribe of Judah and the Holy Spirit has come to testify to that reality that we would not be afraid of all that is before us, but rather with boldness, we can go into the world and declare the goodness of Jesus Christ. Look at the prayers of the early church. Oh, I have to close. The prayers of the early church, they never once pray for protection. What do they pray for? Boldness, 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 boldness because they know the mission they have, they know, they, hope, they know the hope they have because the Spirit indwells them as a seed and an assurance of their inheritance in Him. They know that their Kingdom is not of this world, but of that world. They know that this is temporary, that one day we're going home to the eternal glorious Kingdom that He has come. But in the meantime, He's empowering us to declare that message to the lost and the broken who desperately need to know that Jesus Christ loves them and it's come for them, that they would be restored, that creation would be restored, that all would be made new. And this is His blueprint. The blueprint is Jesus, Spirit, and then church, just be obedient. I'll do it if you'll just simply say yes, a willing vessel, and I'll take you. And not one of us should ever get any glory, it should all go to Him because that is what Holy Spirit does. Fear not what is before you, for the one who cares is behind you. Church, would you stand to your feet? Next week, we're gonna have a look at Acts 2 and we'll look more at Holy Spirit. We'll continue to dive into His nature and His purpose and how He works but I wanna encourage us as a church, if talking about Holy Spirit makes you uncomfortable, how about we lean into the discomfort? How about we commit as a church family to let the Word guide us? And as we sit in the Word, we wrestle through the Word and all that it says, we grow together. I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. God does. Here's what I know in Luke 11. Jesus says, you've got a good father. He says, if you ask the father for bread, he's not gonna give you a stone. So if we come seeking him, he will give us wisdom. That's his promise. He will give the Holy Spirit without fail. He will give. He already has given of Himself. And as we empty ourselves, as we allow Him to come and just chip away at the dross, He'll be enthroned upon our hearts, empowering each and every one of you for the task that He has called you to. So I wanna pray that now. Lord, Thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you for your promises that are precious to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would that you would just continue to be at work in our midst. And we know that you are the lives of our families and our friends and those who are far from You, would You draw them to Yourself, we pray. Lord, for each person here who would profess that Jesus Christ is Lord, I just pray that as You indwell them and in that, that You would give them peace and assurance of their salvation. And Lord, I just pray that You would come upon us and empower us for this mighty work that You have called us to. Whether it be to preach, whether it be to love our neighbour as we love ourselves, whether it be to forgive where forgiveness is hard, whether it be to lay hands on the sick and see them healed, whether it be to speak a word of knowledge by faith, whether it be a gift of generosity, where giving is hard, whether it be a a gift of servitude, where I don't have the time. We need You, Lord, in our lives, in our ministries, in our workplaces, in our families, in our friendships. We we need your treasure. We're just jars of clay. So we say, come and shine bright through each and every one of us. Of Jesus might be glorified, that lives might be transformed, and that the hope of the gospel would be revealed to the ends of the earth. We love you, we praise you. I pray for all my brothers and sisters right now for your blessing to come upon them. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping, passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel. You can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.